Pot here. Welcome to the end of season three of the Leadership Diet. So grateful that you joined us this year. So thankful for the great guests who came along and shared with us their insights and their experiences, lessons learned, and everything else they had to share with us along the way. We're also very grateful to our listeners. We have ended up as a top 10 podcast in Australia in terms of careers and business. Top seven in Singapore, number three in Malaysia, 18 in the Netherlands and 40 in the UK this year. So grateful to all of you who have listened, who have enjoyed the conversations we've been having and who have passed it forward to your friends and colleagues. We look forward to the same again next year. So as we have done in the other two seasons so far, we have this episode is, is designed to be an introduction to some of our guests, a summary of some of the conversations. By no means is it every conversation, but it's some of the highlights along the way. So let's step in, hear what people had to say over the course of the year. Hope you enjoy it. Hit it! I have a dream. That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. We shall never surrender. Welcome to the Leadership Diet. I interview leaders and experts about ways to optimize leadership. What are useful habits and thinking patterns? What are the secrets to high-performing teams? And how do they continue to nurture their effectiveness day after day? In other words, what is their leadership diet? We start off this year with Amy Edmondson from Harvard along with Kieran White in Sydney talking about psychological safety and a whole lot more. Since then, Amy has won the prestigious award of number one thinker of the year, Business Thinker Awards and a Lifetime Achievement at Harvard. So I suspect our podcast helped her along the way a little bit. Who knows? In this first clip, you will hear Amy talking about psychological safety and the differences between that and trust. We're talking about psychological safety. We're talking about structural dynamics. We're talking about a whole lot of stuff. So maybe, Amy, well, let's start with you. The, the term psychological safety is very much associated with you and some of the writings and research you've done. Let's start with the obvious. What is it and what is it not? It's a sense that you can be yourself, probably simply put, but more precisely, it's an expectation that you can speak up at work, especially. I think that probably applies to all sorts of other venues as well. But in the workplace, people naturally hold back. So psychological safety is that experience when you feel this might not be easy, but I'm going to speak up. I'm going to offer my suggestion. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to admit a mistake and and all of the rest, because that's what we do here. And what's the link between that and, say, trust or indeed vulnerability? They're all in a similar kind of area, aren't they? They are. You know, I could probably draw all sorts of Venn diagrams and find lots of overlapping territory. But trust traditionally is a word that refers to a person's expectations about another entity, usually a person, but often a company or an entity of some kind. It relates to your expectation about whether that person will follow through on what they said or whether they're capable of doing what they said they would do. Whereas psychological safety describes a climate, right? An environment where we collectively, so it's more descriptive of a group, an emergent property of a group, whereas whereas trust is more about an individual's perception of some other, usually individual. 
One of the most unusual and indeed one of the most listened to and shared episodes of this year was with someone who is not as well known as Amy or indeed other guests on our podcast, albeit in his his own podcast is one of the most successful in the world. His name is Podrick Otuma and Podrick is a poet, he's a philosopher, he is a PhD candidate and he specialises in religious theory as well as conflict in Northern Ireland amongst a whole lot more. And in this really interesting conversation we had, Podrick shared with us a poem that he's well known for called Shaking Hands. It commemorated a moment in time when the Queen of England shook hands with Martin McGuinness, former leader of the IRA paramilitary. And indeed, it was a really big moment in time from conflict perspective between two nations and indeed two families. So here is Podrick talking about the poem, why he wrote it, and then... Anyway, so this had all been happening. Sinn Féin had boycotted it. And a year later, they had indicated that Martin McGuinness, the leader of Sinn Féin in the North, Deputy First Minister, um, and also a former commander in the IRA, was willing to shake the hand of the Queen. And that she too was willing to shake his hand. Each saw the other as representative of oppression. Her favourite cousin had been murdered by the IRA. He too had been bereaved. So each would have, you know, centuries long lists of things, which are not equal. Of course, somebody representing a monarchical force is not without an enormous amount of blood on their hands for going back centuries, especially when it comes to involvement in Ireland. Anyway, the Cooperation Ireland were a peacemaking organisation. They are a peacemaking organisation. And they invited a bunch of artists to be present at this event, mostly, I think, because they thought artists might be rowdy, but relatively easily, easy to control. So I wrote this poem about watching the handshake between these two people. Shaking hands. Because what's the alternative? Because of courage. Because of loved ones lost. Because it's a small thing, shaking hands. It happens every day. Because I heard of one man whose hands haven't stopped shaking since a market day in Oma. Because it takes a second to say hate. Because shared space without human touching doesn't amount to much. Because it's tough. Because it has taken so, so long. Because it has taken land and money and languages and barrels and barrels of blood. Because lives have been lost. Because lives have been taken. Because to be bereaved is to be troubled by grief. Because more than two troubled peoples live here. Because I know a woman whose hand hasn't been shaken since she was a man. Because shaking a hand is only a part of the start. Because I know a woman whose touch calmed a man whose heart was breaking. Because privilege is not to be taken lightly. Because this just might be good. Because who said this would be easy? Because some people love what you stand for. And for some, if you can, they can. Because solidarity means a common hand. Because a hand is only a hand. So hang on to it. So join your much discussed hands. We need this for one small second. So touch. So lead.
One of the recurring topics in this podcast is about transitions, moving from one level of leadership to another level of leadership, and the lessons and mistakes made along the way. Dr. Ty Wiggins is an expert in leadership transitions. He is a senior consultant at Russell Reynolds, the global search and advisory leadership organization. And in our episode, Ty talked about some of the common pitfalls that leaders make, both when they join an organization or indeed when they are onboarding leaders into new organizations. If you're new to an organization, you will have come from an organization where people will have had enough time with you to have a good feel of your intent. So these are the comments that you hear, you know, when you join an organization, you come out of a meeting and you think, wow, that person was really abrupt. And they say, oh, don't worry about Todd. He's really good. His intention's really good. This is cover for the behaviors skewed, but the intent's good. Trust us. Whereas when you move into a new organization, people don't understand your intent. So all they have is your behavior. Dan Hunter is someone I've known for a long time. He has held CEO roles in a range of public service organizations, multi-billion dollar spend budget type organizations, six, seven, eight thousand people working with them. And in this conversation, Dan again talked about the notion of building perspective as you move from one organization to another. He does believe that having a technical background in your organization's speciality is really important as part of the transition. However, leadership is leadership no matter what. And the opening line here is leadership is not a democracy, but it does pay to listen on your way in. Leadership is not about democracy, but it is about getting views and alternate views. I think going into a new organization, you've got to be careful that you don't come in with predetermined plans. I think it's about identifying again, identifying those people that can help you and are willing to help you and willing to get on the bus. The thing I do think that you do differently as a leader when you come into an organization is it's okay to put your own style and approach on it. Okay to show your personality, show what sort of person you're going to be and show what sort of leader and culture that you're going to develop. Those are the things people look out for. They don't necessarily look out for that technical expertise. You're not there for your technical expertise. Speaking of building perspectives, Brian Harter, former CEO of Westpac and a range of other organizations, came onto our podcast this year and shared with us his experience, ups and downs of being a CEO and some of the traumatic experience he had with that. But more importantly, his notion of building perspectives and how leaders often do not succeed, not because of a lack of talent, experience or ambition, but a lack of ability to hold a range of perspectives during complexity. And in this conversation, he shared with us his notion of how to build and hold different perspectives. If I'm not sure about what to do about something, if I get enough different perspectives on an issue, I find that I eventually start to have, it feels, I often find myself doing this with my hands, kind of a ball, that it's a 360 degree view of the issue. And eventually it will, I find it just snaps into into focus. It's suddenly, oh, okay, that is the way I need to think about this issue. We cannot talk about leadership without talking about teams, as teams are the vessel for doing the work that leaders designate to be done. Dr. Ruth Wagerman is one of the global experts in leadership teams, in team design, in team launches. She's the author of a range of different books, and I was delighted to have her join me to discuss the, the idea of launching great teams. And in this conversation, Ruth talks about one of the common pitfalls that she sees CEOs and other C-level leaders make with with their teams, and that is not designing or launching them properly, which then leads to a whole range of other issues down the track. 
And what we often see is that many leaders are spending a ton of time trying to coach the team and directly shape the behavior and are heavy handed in managing the conversations. And the reason they find themselves pulled into doing that is the design and launch weren't done well in the first place. Right. So they didn't get the 60 30 right. And so it's pulling way more energy out of them. And that's, I think, often why leaders wind up saying, I feel like I'm pushing this boulder uphill all by myself because those fundamentals haven't been addressed. This is the Leadership Diet podcast, and I specialize in coaching leadership teams and C-suite leaders. And we cannot talk about coaching without talking about Michael Bungie Stanger, the author of the highest and best selling book in coaching this century, as per his own advertisement. But as I said in my podcast with him, it is the book I've given out most often to most people over the last five years. It is a simple book, not because it's simple, but that Michael takes what could be very complex and brings it to the other side of complexity and really distills down some core common truths and therefore key questions that are pivotally useful when coaching other leaders, particularly in your team. In this segment here, he talks about a question called the kickstart question, what's on your mind? And what's powerful about what's on your mind is it says, let's get on with it. Tell me the thing that you're excited about or worried about or nervous about or Mm -hmm. anxious about or just consumed by at the moment. Tell me that. Because my guess is if if we start with what's on your mind, we're immediately talking about something that matters to you. And that's the second thing that's part of this pod. It's about moving the responsibility to making the choice about the conversation to the other person. What's on your mind says, tell me what the agenda for this conversation is about. Tell me how I can serve you. Tell me how I can support you. Tell me how I can help untangle the thing that's entangled you. That combination of acceleration into a topic that matters whilst allowing the power and responsibility to stay with the person who's, who owns the topic is part of the power of the kickstart question. One of the joys I get from this podcast is interviewing business founders who have taken their sense of passion, who have generally left corporate roles and set up their own organization. And they are usually very successful by the time I get to talk to them. But in doing so, they share with us on our podcast here their lessons, their mistakes, their concerns, and why they set up their organization and what they want to achieve with that snippet here is with Steve Weston, who is the CEO and founder of Volt Bank, one of the neobanks that have emerged in the Australian landscape over the last couple of years, former CEO of relatively well-known global banks. And in his history, he is known for customer centricity. Indeed, he says he was talking about that before it ever became a term. Here we talk about his obsession with that and how he has brought his learnings from some of the global banks dealing with mortgages into his startup called Volt. You know, I thought that there would be really two difficult points with a startup and one was getting a banking license because as a startup business, we were the first startup to get a banking license in almost 40 years in Australia. And so it wasn't for the faint hearted and it was difficult, but we got there. And then I knew that one day when you're up and running, you face the same business as usual problems as any. Things go wrong. They don't always go right. What was more difficult is when you are building a technology platform that there isn't a precedent to follow and a plan to follow, you just can't find the resources of people who have done it before. 
Another founder is Declan Boylan, founder of Seven Consulting, the most successful program delivery organization in Southeast Asia and the sponsor of the Matildas, the Australian national women's soccer or football team. Here, Declan talks about feedback. Now, this is a really unusual conversation. He talks about feedback from the employees organization to their leaders about the way they are being helped or supported and how that is given on a fortnightly basis, i.e. hyper frequently. It is one of the core parts of the organization, one of the core fundamental reasons why Seven has a consistent rating of 98% and above client and employee satisfaction. We actually get the person being reviewed to score the reviewer in terms of how much value they've added. And we basically look at that every week. So it can be anywhere between daily, which would be unusual, up to monthly as basically the longest duration between reviews. As I say, the average probably being fortnightly. Effectively, it would be a you know, more senior resource looking at, at the work's being done, all the outputs, you know, discussing with them how they're getting on with the stakeholders, the team, the sponsors, so on and so forth. Running it, I guess, the delivery approach against some of our tools and the person would need to explain where they varied from our recommended delivery approach. We use some other tools to delve into, from a numeric point of view, how the project's going. It's fairly rigorous. It's not that pleasant. It's a bit like going to the dentist, whether you're giving or receiving. I think it's crucial for, for what we do. Over 2021, we covered a range of different topics. Sometimes they were in the area of leadership. Sometimes they were standalone topics. One of the most important ones, in my view, and indeed one of the most commented on topic that we had was the notion of women and succession planning, particularly in the CEO suite. And I was joined by Susan Metcalf, who is the CEO of Chief Executive Women earlier this year, talking about the census report they had just released and the rather dismal results in an Australia perspective, at least, in terms of the number of women in CEO roles. Here she's talking through those statistics. The skills we need tomorrow are not the skills of today. And again, COVID has shown us different models of leadership and had many companies rely on skills that have stereotypically, admittedly, been associated with women and leadership about caring for their workforce, about being creative, about being innovative, about thinking about managing differently. And so as we think about the requirements for those roles, we would encourage companies to move away strongly from we need 25 years experience doing this specific thing to actually being very clear about what are the success factors in that role and where else might you find them. As we come to the end of 2021, and indeed, as we thought the pandemic was coming to an end, another twist emerges with Omicron at recording of this episode in mid-December. Who knows where this is going to get to? Europe looks like it's heading back into a lockdown. Australia is determined not to go into a lockdown, but who knows what will happen. But two key topics emerged over 2021 that we talked about on several occasions, the idea of burnout and the idea of wellness. In this snippet, Dr. Tom Buckley and his colleague Andrew may join me on the whole topic of burnout and their views on how to mitigate against it. In this snippet here, Tom talks about the origins of the word burnout and what it really meant originally. 
working in ICU and coronary care at very similar times, people weren't really encouraged to talk about their emotions. You're saving a life one minute, you're laying somebody to peace the next minute, you're breaking news to the family that their loved ones died unexpected next minute. And then you're supposed to go home and function normal and be back at 6 a.m. and do it all again tomorrow for another 12 hours. Whereas now there's mass recognition in, in medical, nursing, psychology, the professions who are working in that environment, mass recognition thanks to him that actually this is a real phenomena. And, you know, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can put others on. That wasn't the case even 20 years ago, probably even 10 years ago. And finally, for the last snippet of this summary, we're joined by Audrey McGibbon, who is a global expert in executive wellness. And in our conversation, she outlined a range of different reasons why wellness is a vague and often misunderstood, but is phenomenally important for the long term performance of every executive. In this snippet, she talks about the idea of boundaries and boundary setting and the word cranky and how to use your level of crankiness as a precursor to what boundaries need to be set. Your best clue to knowing where you need to set boundaries is about where you find yourself getting cranky. So a boundary might be with your children. You know, you set the boundaries around who's getting access to the television when you're all trying to see the same thing. But your time boundaries, and you see your time boxing, your bookending the days. If you don't do it, and you're doing the whole late night bedtime procrastination thing, what are you cranky with about yourself where you think tomorrow I'm going to do that differently? That's where you say, that's what I need to fix. Well, there you go. A quick summary of some of, and by no means all of, our Series 3 of the Leadership Diet. I really appreciate all of our listeners. appreciate all of our guests who gave us our time and the value of their experience. Thank you to my own team in the Leadership Context and the Paula Sullivan business. Thank you to Darcy and his team at Podcast. And thank you to all of our supporters and friends. It's been a great year. We very much appreciate all of your support. Very much appreciate the feedback you send us and some of the tips you send us, which we always watch and read and listen to and very often implement. Have a great break over the end of 2021 and we will return in February 2022 for Season 4. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Leadership Diet. We hope you enjoyed it. Head over to theleadershipdiet.com where you can subscribe to the podcast, to our blog, retrieve a whole range of resources that we talk about in each episode. And if you are visual, a bit like myself, there are a range of videos sitting in our YouTube channel that you might find helpful. If you're enjoying all this, a review on iTunes or Spotify would be much appreciated. See you next time.